episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show with a, a returning guest today uh, that has been involved in uh, creating a better tomorrow for so many people on many different fronts. Uh, we have the honor again uh, today of being joined by Dr. Hassan Teta, uh, who is the Health Mission Chief uh, at the Department of Defense Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, or Jake, uh, who serves to advance the objectives of the DoD AI strategy, improve warfighter healthcare and readiness uh, with artificial intelligence implementations and other technologies. Uh, Dr. Teta is also uh, an Associate Professor of Surgery at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. He's adjunct faculty at Howard University College of Medicine, a uh, thoracic staff surgeon for MedStar Health and Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, and leads a specialized thoracic adaptive recovery or STAR team uh, in Washington, D.C., where his research in thoracic transplantation uh, is changing the way uh, we look at both heart and lung recovery and saving numerous lives. Uh, in the past, Dr. Ted has served uh, as chief medical informatics officer in the United States Navy uh, and division lead for Futures and Innovation at the Navy's Medicine Headquarters, a command surgeon for the National Defense University, uh, and as Robert Wood Johnson Health Policy Fellow with the United States Congress uh, in the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, Dr. Ted has served as a ship surgeon and director of surgical services for the USS uh, Carl Vinson Battle Group in uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. He was deployed as a trauma surgeon in Afghanistan and Helmand and Nimrod's provinces in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. And he has supported special joint forces missions around the world, South America, the Middle East, South Pacific, Australia, and Africa. Uh, he is, uh, in addition to everything he does, he's an extremely accomplished author, uh, including his books, uh, The novel, The Gifts of the Heart, uh, Star Patrol, uh, co-authored uh, with his son, Edmund Teta, uh, as well as The Art of Human Care, and what we'll be talking about today, The Art of Human Care and COVID-19, uh, both books illustrated by his daughter, Ella Blue. Uh, he has published numerous articles in surgical innovation, health information, ethics, wounded warriors. Uh, Dr. Teta received his bachelor's uh, from State University of New York, his MD from SUNY Down State Medical Center, uh, master's in public administration from Harvard Kennedy School of Government, his MBA from Johns Hopkins, uh, and his master's uh, in national security strategy with a concentration in artificial intelligence from the National War College. Uh, in addition to everything else he does, uh, he serves on the board of the uh, New York-based Arthur Ashe Institute for Urban Health, uh, the Fayetteville, Arkansas-based Champions for Kids, and Miriam's Kitchen in Washington, D.C., which is a nonprofit that works to end chronic homelessness. Uh, Dr. Hassan Teta, thank you so much for taking the time again to come on the show. Oh, thank you, Ira. It's so great to be here again with you. <laughs> it's great seeing you. Um, I'm really looking forward uh, to our discussion today, especially with your new book, The Art of Human Care for COVID-19. Uh, and, you know, I, I, for everybody that's watching and listening, uh, if you haven't watched the first episode, I suggest uh, after this, you, know, you go over and, and take a look at that or beforehand when you're, uh, before you watch this episode. But uh, today we're going to start on a, a kind of interesting front. Um, and, and I'm going to, uh, Dr. Teddy, because your book starts, this new book starts off uh, not really in 2021, but about 2,500 years ago, uh, where you sort of walk through a, uh, a scenario that you were studying in um, in national security studies at the National War College, where you uh, go through sort of the Peloponnesian War and uh, some of the strategies, not just the military strategies that enabled a very small uh, city-state like Sparta to overcome uh, the the Athens, uh, the actually uh, the Athenian world. But uh, at the same time, what was lesser known to to me and probably a lot of people is the fact that Athens was at that time, 2,500 years ago, suffering this uh, strange pandemic uh, known as the Plague of Athens. Sort of scholars still debate on what exactly it was. Killed about 100,000 people. Um, let's start off today, 2,500 years ago, a little bit of what was going on in the uh, sort of the Greek world, the, the city-state empires, and because uh, we're going to draw a little later in the show some of the parallels here, but talk a little bit about the Athenian plague and, and sort of what how this sort of upended the world at the time. Sure. Well, that's a great place to start. Uh, the book uh, this new book, The Art of Human Care for COVID-19, kind of brings into play many principles um, that I have uh, for some time actually uh, studied and pondered and thought about. Uh, it turns out, uh, believe it or not, uh, 
plagues are nothing new to human civilization. Uh, they have uh, been around pretty much ever since humans have existed, obviously in varying degrees because we have different populations and, and sort of distribution across the world over, over our existence. But that one in particular, I bring to attention in the book because it, it is one of those focal points in which, um, you know, during my studies at the War College, I, I happen to be the only physician in a class of very accomplished, you know, senior medical, uh, senior military officers. And I was the only medical doctor in the, in the class of my uh, esteemed uh, colleagues of about 200. So one out of, uh, out of 200. So my other 199 other students uh, were you know, military folks and, and folks from uh, different agencies within the intergovernment. And uh, the way that the National War College curriculum is, is organized, as you can imagine, is discussing national security strategy. Uh, and we do that from a number of angles, historically, uh, contemporary, and, and also looking at each individual campaign and looking at the elements of, of, of those sort of principles that define national security strategy for you know, the group or the organization or the population that we're studying. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, which is kind of like the traditional National War College, we, we tend to spend a lot of time on the Peloponnesian War and uh, in, in particular the writings of Thucydides, uh, who was the uh, Greek scholar back then. Um, and what was interesting to me was almost in every single one of the campaigns <clears throat> that we studied, whether they were the ancient ones or even some of the modern day uh, campaigns, and we looked at the, you know, sort of dissecting the strategy and, and sort of how uh, the, the war and the conflict uh, conflicted, how, how, how all of those things sort of impacted the uh, population. It was never lost on me that there was always a health angle as well. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we learn uh, national security strategy, we think about the elements and the sort of the, the instruments of power, as we like to call them, the diplomacy, their information, uh, military, of course. And in economics, and if you think about how uh, you know societies, great societies, wield their power or deal with conflict, they they do it diplomatically. They they wield information. Uh, they use their military strength, and of course, they use their economics. Now, if you have you know great strengths in, in diplomacy and in information, and and your military is strong, and your economics is strong, and you tend to be one of the the great superpowers of the world, right? Uh, that's not a surprise, uh, and so. Despite those four elements, one element that I always look to, and again, my bias, of course, coming from, uh, you know, the place of being a physician was also to look at the health angle. Uh, and so, you know, to specifically hone in on the Peloponnesian era and, and specifically the war uh, of that time, there were great scholars that were writing about this incredible plague that had pretty much, as you mentioned, decimated, uh, you know, Athens at the time prior to the you know, loss, the great loss uh, of Athens to Sparta. Uh, and when you think about what happened during that time, you had these great erudite, um, you know, incredible leaders, military thought leaders, political thought leaders, um, you know, people that, Pericles, you know, like these giants in, in, in sort of the history back then uh, that were leading this great society. And unfortunately, they came to a plague. And it was Athens... Uh, you know, sort of uh, decision uh, as a society to close their walls and, 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 you know, basically isolate themselves, which is, you know, kind of not uncommon that you do in a pandemic. You don't want people to come in and you don't want people to get out so you don't spread the disease. But in doing so, they, they also closed off, um, you know, their society. And, and in, internally, lots of people suffered and died. And if you think about the writings of that time, specifically related to the plague, and you look at the art, you, you, can, you can appreciate this tremendous suffering. Um, you know, Pericles died ultimately from the plague. And um, when he did, um, there was also a host of other leaders that also passed away during this time. So you think about this great society that lost its, you know, great leaders, you know, and then had uh, this pain and suffering of many families losing loved ones. And there's this, there's this you know, sense that you feel that there must have just been so much despair during that time, you know, almost a loss of faith, you know, in, in, in their gods and, and, and in wondering what is going on. I mean, this is just terrible. How could, how could we be living in such a terrible time? And I really appreciated that from, again, from the health angle, because I recognize that 
that, you know, impact to their society from a health standpoint fundamentally impacted the, the, the political, economic, social, and technological structure of Athens as a society. And if you, you take that as the one example of how plagues, you know, totally impact society, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad, but mostly in a very significant way, nonetheless, um, you realize that, you know, plagues change the world <laughs> when they happen. And, and, and there's something to be said about, you know, an epidemic and a pandemic. A pandemic is something that, infect, you know, it impacts the entire world. And during that time, I mean, most of what we know as society was, was centered around Athens. So they were the center of civilization at that time. And this plague, this very terrible, um, you know, disease just ravished their society. And I believe, you know, in my, and I wrote about this in, in my writings, uh, you know, in the analysis of what, what were the causes, what were the impacts, and, and what were the consequences of the pandemic, uh, you know, in, relating, in, in the context in relation to the war, I suggest that it was, in fact, the, the plague that had a very pivotal, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, contribution to the outcome of that of the Peloponnesian War. Now, some other scholars have also... Uh, you know, sort of uh, hinted at that as well. But as you can imagine, being the only physician in a class of 200, <laughs> you know, uh, strategists and, and, and national security experts, uh, that, that was, a, it was a hard argument to make. But nonetheless, I, I tried my best to make it. And, you know, I, I write in the book, actually, that this book, that, that I'd like to think, you know, perhaps, you know, some of my, my colleagues are around the world somewhere uh, in, in their respective places of leadership now thinking to themselves, you know, there was this doc in my war college class. He would always talk about health and how pandemics and bacteria and viruses were, were great threats to national security. Um, you know, maybe he was onto something. You know, when you take into context, fast forward to our present day, and you think about what the COVID-19 pandemic has sort of, you know, illuminated and, and sort of... Um, illustrated for all of us in, the, in sort of the current times. Now, one last thing I'll end with is that, again, plagues and pandemics are nothing new. They have impacted civilization and they tend to sort of come in these cycles of 80 to 100 years. And it just so happens that, you know, we were about due for one. If you think about the Spanish flu being the last, you know, great pandemic of, of our sort of modern era. And, um, and, and I think that, you know, you can see these very significant parallels among all of the different plagues throughout the ages. Uh, and so, yes, going back 2,300 or so years ago is, is sort of, uh, you know, uh, what I start out talking about in the book. And, and I try and highlight, you know, throughout, you know, at least uh, some of the modern day history, how these plagues have come about and how they've impacted society uh, for good, for bad, and indifferent. Absolutely, and you, you know, in the book, you, you you take us for that walk uh, from the 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 Athenian plague. Uh, you go to the Black Death, the Spanish flu. Obviously, you and I and didn't experience those. Uh, then we get into HIV, Ebola, and and obviously into COVID. We'll talk a little bit about some of your messages about resilience a little later on. But what I want to uh, go to first now, sort of jumping forward now in our time machine, uh, you are a uh, an exceptional cardiothoracic surgeon. Uh, you saw these I mean, these issues with COVID up front uh, in your, you know, in your own life, you you talk about you lost uh, two aunts and uncle, uh, and then not only sort of in your immediate circles uh, and, and your patients, of course, but um, you know you run in some circles with some really smart people that were saying to you, "Man, this doesn't sound too serious," and you were saying, "No, <laughs> uh, this is pretty serious." Um, talk about sort of what you experienced in the early days of COVID. Uh, as a practitioner, as a cardiothoracic surgeon, and ultimately, what was the purpose for writing this book in the first place? That's a great question, Ira. Oh my gosh, what what a relevant question! Not only I would say a year ago, you know, so when we first were all experiencing this, but even today. I mean, literally today. And and let me start with today, and then I'll go back a year. So even today. Uh, a very good friend of mine from, from New York is, um, you know, going through a very difficult time right now. His, his, his younger brother is in the hospital with COVID and not doing very well, unfortunately. And over the weekend, 
um, and, and he's been in the hospital now for about a month, about a week, um, and, and has been you know, very sick in the hospital. And I, I had the opportunity to, with, uh, with my friend, uh, to talk to the physicians taking care of him. And, and it, it, it again illustrates an, a, a very key um, element of why I felt it was important to write this kind of book at this, this particular time. You know, he's an individual who's a younger person who um, actually had, had known about it because they live in New York. And of course, New York has been, you know, significantly impacted. But, you know, it, it's kind of emerged from that, you know, devastation about a year ago. Uh, but yet, you know, there was, there's, there's not as much vigilance as there was perhaps back then. And, and here he is, a young person who's now, you know, infected with COVID and now, you know, doing very poorly. Um, and so, you know, even today, it's still, it's still an issue. But a year ago, it was very different in terms of the people's experience. When I say the people, I mean the people of our country, in, in the United States in particular, how they were experiencing COVID. So I, I'm, I am from New York originally. I trained there for medical school and for residency. And so I have, I have quite a number of friends still in New York, and I have, I have family there. Uh, and when, you know, COVID started to, uh, you know, sort of emerge as a real threat to us here in, in the States, um, you know, you're talking about the, the sort of February, March timeframe of last year, um, people were experiencing it in a very different way. Of course, if you were in New York or if you were in the West Coast, in the Pacific Northwest in particular, in the early days of COVID for the United States, it was, it was front and center, right? Everyone knew that that was something happening because the hospitals were being overrun. Those in healthcare were being stressed and, and stretched and, 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 and broken because we were experiencing and dealing with something that we had never seen before. It was unlike any kind of pneumonia or flu or other kind of condition that we're treating before. And there were so many unknowns, like how is it spreading? How, how are people getting, getting infected? Um, you know, how do we treat it? Because we were, we were doing things that we did conventionally, thinking that we would get a good result and we were getting poor results. But in the middle of the country and in other places, there was absolutely no hint that this was even an issue. And so, you know, this brings me to your, your question, which was like, what was the purpose of writing this book? I was actually um, in the middle of not only seeing very complicated cases in the hospital through my clinical practice, dealing with loved ones that were now hospitalized and really, really sick in New York. I had this opportunity to talk to, a, to an individual a friend of mine who was living at the time in Oregon. And, you know, there, there was literally no cases. There was almost no no, no footprint of COVID there. Um, and he happens to live in a very rural place in, in Oregon. So to make it even more of his perspective being totally different. So he's getting all this information from the news. I'm living it because I'm going to the hospital. I'm seeing these really sick, ill patients that are passing away and not doing well. I have family members in New York that are not doing well. Um, and I'm having these conversations with my friends in New York, my other physician colleagues in New York that are absolutely exasperated because they don't know how to take care of this, how to treat it, and, and how to sort of, you know, take care of this challenge. And then I'm speaking to someone who I highly respect, really, you know, smart, intellectual guy who is just totally like, I don't get it. I don't see anything here. I don't understand why we have to wear masks. I just don't understand it. And, and it started to, for me, put together all of these pieces of my own current experience, my studies of being a pupil, if you will, or a self-declared you know, pupil of, of pandemics and thinking to myself, this is exactly how all the pandemics sort of happened. This natural history of people were like, well, there's nothing going on. And then those that were suffering from it, feeling it, you know, in a different way. And it dawned on me that this was all a matter of perspective. And so what I am attempting to do through this book is to provide a perspective that gives a balanced view of, you know, a historical context, a modern day context, and then also speaks to the sort of commentary, the social commentary of the thing that is a common theme among all pandemics in that they fundamentally changed societies mm -hmm. in a political way, in an economic way, in a social way, and in a technological way. And depending on where you are in the world, 
your experience for how you're dealing with that change that's happening is going to be different. And so this is an attempt to sort of level set and give the sort of a broad comprehensive picture of, in a, in a, in a brief way, obviously, of how pandemics emerge, how they have emerged over, how this one emerged, how they have emerged over time, but also what that perspective is, is attempting to do is to give you a great insight into how you can deal with it wherever you are. Whether, whether you happen to be in Alaska or you happen to be in Florida, whether you happen to be in Texas or you happen to be in New York, and, and sort of give you a, a, a sort of commonplace so that you can, uh, you can start to start uh, processing what this pandemic means for you right here and right now and, 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 and give you ideally uh, some of the tools that, that you talked about when you mentioned the word resilience to help you be resilient because it's, it's hopefully arming you with some information and knowledge that can give you, um, you know, the ability to, to deal with this very difficult time that we are all living in, but that other humans have lived through before and, 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 and fortunately have emerged from before. And, and, and continuing along uh, those lines, who now we're just talking about obviously your purpose for writing the book, uh, the theme of purpose uh, comes up. I, I, you talk about three Ps, actually, uh, when we're talking about sort of uh, evaluating each of our uh, own condition and our lives. Uh, you talk about purpose, uh, personalization, and, and uh, partnerships. Uh, and I like to touch on the sort of the first two because I sort of think they go hand in hand, uh, purpose and personalization. Uh, you know, you go into the story, obviously, you, you experience the deaths uh, in your family. Uh, and then you talk about other things, you know, uh, you're, you're, you have a passion for running, uh, but your marathon training is now over. Uh, your wife, who was a nurse, laid off. Uh, your children at home, like like most of us, and we have to, you know, we have something that we don't normally have at home uh, anymore. Uh, talk a little bit about um, the themes of purpose and personalization as it affected you in the in the early days and as you've gone through those last year. Yeah, sure. Another tremendously, uh, you know, great question because, uh, you know, so in in all of the things that were happening, as I described, you know. We were all going through it, certainly a year ago with, with COVID and we're still going through right now. You know, you, you're not at work, uh, children at home. <laughs> you, may got, you may have been laid off. You know, you, you have plans and now your plans are canceled. Now, now I don't think if, if people really appreciate how, how important that is. I mean, we, especially, um, you know, folks in the States, we have plans. I mean, we have our calendar booked out, you know, you know a year in advance, potentially. And that's what I started out with 2020 as I, you know, I had just wrote another book, The Art of Human Care. And I had this, this great, you know, sort of book tour planned, you know, we're going to all these medical schools and, and, and all these graduation ceremonies. And when March occurred and the pandemic was declared and the NBA canceled its season, it was clear that the rest of the year was going to be quite different. And what you saw was this wave of cancellations. And I experienced that as well. It got to the point where there was no longer planning of anything. I didn't have any trips. I wasn't, you know, all the reservations were canceled. You know, everything was just done. And what that did, in addition to change and upend the year for me, was it, it put me in a state of, and I think a lot of people shared this, of, of disillusionment. You know, I would, I would say, you know, anxiety and probably, you know, quite frankly speaking candidly, just being depressed. I was like, man, I had all these great plans and, and now I'm, I, I, I'm at home. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I don't know how long this is going to last. I'm separated from my team members, my friends and family and, and, and all those folks that, we, that, that, you know, helped me create these plans that we were going to execute. How are we going to get all this done? And I found myself in sort of this funk. And that was around the same time I was talking to my colleague who's on the West Coast. And, uh, and you know, it dawned on me that um, I was experiencing something that was, was quite challenging, but probably un, uh, not uncommon. I think a lot of us were experiencing the same thing. Uh, and then you're looking at all the news reports of people getting laid off and, and, and then people you know, dying and getting sick. And so I started to appreciate the fact that what I had wrote in my first book, The Art of Human Care, were the very same principles that I needed to apply right now to sort of help me get out of this funk. What was my purpose? I mean, was my purpose that I had all of these you know, events lined up? Well, in part, perhaps I was trying to use those uh, events as a, as a means to sort of catalyze my purpose. 
which was to help people and to heal and to, and to inform and, and, to, and, and to help educate people about, you know, what they can do to overcome challenges in their life. And here I was facing one myself. I'm in the middle of COVID. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and I need to really quickly discover my purpose because even though, you know, all of these events were being canceled and we were being isolated and, and, and there's a lot of anxiety and uncertainty around this event, I needed to sort of get grounded again. And so I needed to personalize what was happening for me because my friend on the West Coast had a totally different experience. You know, he, he needed to personalize COVID in his world. I needed to personalize it in my world. And in my world, what was happening to me was that I had family members die. I had this, this sort of immersion of COVID in the clinical world that I was seeing every day. I'm talking to my friends you know, both in New York that are dealing with it and then some in, throughout the country who haven't seen it yet that are waiting and anticipating. And so I'm taking all of these things in and I started to say to myself, all right, let's get grounded again and let's get back to, you know, some bases. And my purpose right now is to survive and to thrive. So I want to make sure that I don't get sick with COVID. And so in order to make sure that that happens, um, I need to do the things that I know is necessary to take care of oneself. I need to eat healthy, I need to rest, I need to sort of diminish my stress, and I need to exercise. So I got back on that, into that kind of regimen because it, for a while I let everything go. I, I, I didn't have a, a marathon on the horizon, so I stopped running, you know. But, you know, your days are all blending in, so you can, you know, let hygiene go. <laughs> you know, there's no reason you're not going to see anybody. And so I stopped, I stopped all of those things, and I started kind of came back to the basics of, Let's get a regimen going again. Let's wake up in the morning and have a purpose of like making this day, you know, mean something. Uh, so hygiene, you know, go out and run, you know, and I could run in my little neighborhood here. And, and that, that kind of invigorated me because it made every day dissimilar from the day before, you know, I do run a different path. And, and that started to sort of engender this sort of purpose again. And then I started to feel like, you know, what's really important is to start sharing these experiences with others. And so that was how I personalized COVID for me. And I, and I, and I started to realize that I was, you know, coming out of my funk. Uh, and I started to feel like I had, again, a deliberate reason for, you know, living again, which is really important because I think a lot of people, and, and, I, and I've seen this sort of on the other side, have really taken this entire time really, really hard, <laughs> you know, um, you know, even, even just recently, I was telling one of my colleagues anecdotally in, in our transplant uh, world, we have seen a lot of um, uh, transplant donors that have uh, succumbed to suicide and to uh, substance abuse. And, you know, that has always been one of the conditions or one of the reasons why people become organ donors. Uh, but for me, it just seems like there has been a pattern of a lot more of that over the last year than, than maybe what I've noticed or appreciated in the past. And maybe it's because I'm just more sensitive to it. But I think that that's a clear reflection of what's happening in the world right now. Uh, and so there's a lot of challenges. So that, again, reinforces for me that my purpose must be to sort of stay healthy, to stay positive, um, to sort of stay resilient in this time. And personalizing this entire experience for me means that I want to emerge from this with, uh, with, with sort of a sense of, 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 uh, of, uh, of a way to impart to others uh, some of these things that I've learned, both by being a student, experiencing the student of pandemics, experiencing the pandemic myself right now, and then thinking about looking, at, looking toward the future of, of how we're going to emerge, and we will emerge from this in a good way, uh, so that, you know, sort of on the other side of COVID, we can look back and say, despite the death, despite the suffering, despite the difficult and challenging times, you know, we have actually learned quite a bit. And now we're, we're sort of on our, on our pace and on our way to, 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 to being even better. And that is one last thing I probably would end with, which is sort of a, a positive note. When you look at all of those pandemics across the, the world, and you think about how the, 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 the societies at the time and the populations at the time suffered, you will, you will also note a common, you know, hopefully a theme that will repeat itself. And that is, as they did emerge, those that did survive, those that did endure, um, you know, the societies actually became better as a result of it. 
Um, and and it became it became as a result of people being genius about how they would you know take care of the problems of the time and then apply those new principles and the things that they learned to sort of accelerate the pace of 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 of, uh, of, uh, of, of you know civilization. Uh, and I think we're starting to see that here. I mean, you you, you take a few examples. I mean. Uh, the, the ability for us to collaborate and work, you know, distance, you know, without having sort of these, these barriers. The fact that telehealth in, in particular, something that has always been, you know, sort of just, you know, plodding along has, has now, you know, taken off. And, and I think that physicians have found they've been able to spend more time with patients in a capacity and in an intimate way that they couldn't do even in person sometimes. Uh, and so I think these kinds of things that have, have, have sort of helped us adapt during these times are going to endure and, and hopefully uh, bring us to a better place on the outside, of, on the other side of the, the pandemic. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that because, you know, the, what we mentioned that the sort of the third P you talk about, sort of the partnerships, these new models, uh, you've been obviously actively involved in, in developing such new models, uh, like with the, uh, the STAR team and uh, in, in, in finding ways to uh, increase and, and, and decrease, so decrease the uh, the the amount of sort of heart and lungs that you lose due to the 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 issues that uh, go on with regard to uh, sort of the whole recovery process. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the other concepts that you you work on in this space in terms of new partnership models uh, as we move forward. Sure, I'll, I'll highlight the Star Team model as a, as an example first, and then talk about some more of those other ones. So Please. for us during that time of uh, particularly last spring, when you think about. Uh, when when things were just totally being shut down, you know, travel was pretty restricted. <clears throat> um, but people were still getting sick. I mean, people still are are having you know heart attacks. People are mm -hmm. still you know developing end stage lung disease, and and so people still needed you know the the very sophisticated you know therapeutic uh, transplantation uh, for their you know for their lives, and and so in the midst of of a pandemic when travel's restricted and you know teams can't go back and forth between states to go to where the donors are and bring them back to where the recipients are. We found ourselves in the state here in, in, in this area, in the DC metro area, where um, you know donors were still available, uh, but the teams couldn't come because of, of restricted travel and, and so forth. And so working with a partnership, you know, with the local organization or the organ procurement organization, the OPLs. Uh, they recognized that our team had, um, you know, had a cadre of, of talented surgeons as well as some support uh, that could help with this dilemma, which is we have organs that 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 are donated, you know, because of a tragedy, because there's a donor uh, eligible, uh, and we have a recipient that happens to be in New York or New Jersey or Pennsylvania, but you know, there's no way for them to travel here to to, to retrieve that organ, and if if that if that doesn't happen. Then unfortunately, that 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 donor is going to you know is not going to be able to to to, to gift that organ to, to someone who needs it, and so that's where we came in with this partnership and in, in sort of de developing this um this partnership. What we were able to do is collaborate with the teams that that were that were in need of the organs and the local organ procurement organization here, and our team could recover the organs. We could communicate with the you know, the other centers that were, you know, in other states and tell them, hey, this is what we see, you know, we can give them sort of a virtual, you know, assessment of the organ. And then, you know, through coordination, we could recover the heart and the, and the lung for them. And then, you know, by courier, send it, uh, send it to the, uh, the recipient facility. And this became something that, you know, for hearts and lungs is very uncommon. And so during this, you know, this time of the pandemic, we sort of changed the paradigm and sort of, the, you know, sort of, illuminated what was possible, you know, and of course, engendered trust through that whole process. And over time, after doing, you know, a, a few, a few many cases, actually, uh, what we were able to do was, was show and demonstrate to other centers that, hey, you can have uh, another team that's not your organic team, go out, recover the lungs and the hearts for you, and then deliver them to your center and do it in a way that's professional, that, that, that takes into account that quality, and also gives you uh, some assurance that you're going to have a good outcome. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, so we did almost 30 transplants during that time, you know, the spring and early summer. And that was incredible because if it wasn't for our team, you know, it, unfortunately, the, 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 the reality is those organs may not have been transplanted. 
uh, and those people that were in need of them on the other side wouldn't have had it. Now, that's just one example of a great partnership that occurred during this. One of the other things that happened, and I'll highlight two other examples, is that in, in, in this sort of remote, distant kind of, you know, uh, you know, environment we found ourselves in and, and disconnected from our teams, we had a lot of conference calls. We had a lot of conference calls. We had a lot of teams meetings, Zoom calls. And we were all searching, like many were, for like, how can we solve some of these great challenges and problems? And one of the problems that, that was very, uh, you know, sort of immediate in terms of like clear and present as an issue was uh, the challenge of, of childcare and education. You know, here you had a lot of parents at home <laughs> with children uh, that, you know, could not go to school because the schools were closed, right? And, and talking to some of our partners, we realized that, you know, through our work in, um, in, in some of the artificial intelligence and some of the technology we had, we had partners that were really good at delivering virtual technology. And so we made some introductions to some of the schools and that actually engendered this relationship with them so that they could bring the technology that was, 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 much, more, was much more advanced than, they were, than what they were using to help educate the students. And this was just kind of like a kind of a collateral you know, thing and benefit that occurred from just having a conversation and just marrying these types of things. So again, that was another kind of organic partnership that developed and where we were just making connections between you know, a, a problem and, and a solution we knew existed. Uh, and now in, in, in sort of kind of bringing it to even um, you know, more concrete example of our own current work, what we discovered is, uh, you know, draw collaboration, even though we were distant and we weren't sort of connected, we were still able to, uh, you know, have the partnerships between, you know, people that were um, working in, in disparate locations. Uh, and, and I'm talking about like the work at the Jake right now where we were able to bring together coders and, and software engineers and, 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 uh, and individuals that were working in, um, in different agencies into government agencies to help us uh, get data that we could use and leverage to develop a platform, which um, you know, has been written about as Project Salus. And that became you know, this, this uh, artificial intelligence uh, solution mm -hmm. that took data from a whole myriad of disparate places to really address a problem, which was, hey, COVID is impacting supply chains, it's impacting the capacity of hospitals, it's impacting, you know, uh, the ability to get resources to where they need to go. What, what can we do, you know, and leverage AI to help us as decision makers, you know, and those, mm -hmm. those that are making these decisions from the public health standpoint, from the security standpoint, to help uh, give them insight into how they can deliver resources to where they need to be almost in a predictive way. And, and that all became, you know, uh, you know, one of the greatest illustrations of a partnership all coming together and, and sort of bringing to fruition a solution and a platform that, you know, has had great benefit during this pandemic time and, and also now has now uh, created uh, something that could be a solution used, you know, even beyond the, even beyond the pandemic. So, you know, I think, I think, again, this illustrates, again, this sort of you know, purpose, partnership, and mm -hmm. personalization all kind of coming together, uh, especially in the time of, of, of COVID. Absolutely. Um, one, one other area I'd like to talk on, and then we'll, and it's a dark topic, but um, we'll come out of it and we'll come back to resilience. But I, I want to stop here uh, for, for a couple of minutes and, and just talk about, uh, unfortunately, death. Uh, because, you know, you write in this book, obviously all physicians experience and have to deal with death. Uh, right. But, at, you know, the last year, it's been a little, you know, uh, you know, a little more than, than many would normally expect. Um, right. Now, you obviously had had some unique experiences. And in the last show, we talked about uh, you know, you, you almost died of bacterial meningitis at a young age or so this basis of art of human care and, and your theories in that book. Uh, you also document in, in your other book, Gifts of the Heart, you know, as a young military physician, you see death different. You see other types of death that, that right. people in the hospital don't normally see. Um, take a few minutes, if you would, just to, to talk about uh, insights, learnings, you know, uh, for the the clinician that doesn't normally see, you know, the 18 year old dying because they can't breathe or, you know, 
all these other uh, conditions that have, you know, secondary conditions to the viral infection that, wow, you know, more people are leaving than should. Uh, take us on a little bit on that, if you would. Yeah, I do spend some time in this particular book, you know, sharing my experience with death, obviously all the things that you outlined. And in fact, in one section of the book, um, and, and this was at a time where we had reached a sort of this very critical milestone of, of, of in the world of like 2 million people passing away. And I, and I, I think kind of like infused the global number because, you know, we're all connected in some way, you know, no matter, you know, if that person has passed away in Zimbabwe or in Thailand or, or here in the States, you know, that's a life that was taken, you know, arguably prematurely. It had it not been for the pandemic, those people would still be here. Uh, and what I talk about is how, you know, societies change, not because of all of those things that are around the pandemic, you know, job loss and things like that. It's really because we have lost so many people in such a short period of time. That, that in fact, is really kind of where the real change comes from, if you think about it in a fundamental way. Now, all of us are going to die, you know, it, it just is, is just a, a natural condition of the human existence. Uh, and what I, what I do in, in that, in the sort of that moment of reflecting on all of those lives that we've lost is, is try to engender for those of us that are still here a sense and a sort of realization that you have an opportunity to sort of re-examine your life. And to use the death of, of all of those people, even if they're not people that you know, um, and if they're not your loved one or your, or your acquaintance or your, or your friend or colleague or family member, to still take that time to sort of reflect on the passing of this person that occurred because of this devastating pandemic. And think to yourself, what is it that you need to do and want to do in life that can be of meaning? Because all of those people would do anything, if you think about it, to change places with you right now, mm -hmm. to still be here, to still be able to hug that son or daughter, to still be able to spend that time with that wife or spouse or partner, to still be able to go to work and, and, and see their friends and colleagues and their, and, their, and their teammates, right? But they don't have that opportunity. And so if you, if you do nothing else from, from this conversation, just think about the fact that you are still here. The fact that you're listening to Ira's words and my words means that you're still here in the midst of a pandemic that has actually claimed the lives of many, many people. And those people that are no longer here would do a lot to be in your position. And so in, in some ways you have, believe it or not, been given a gift, no matter what your condition is, whether you've been laid off from your job whether nothing has really impacted you in any way, or if you've been someone that has lost 10 family members, which I, you know, unfortunately have, 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 have come to know people that have been in that situation from COVID. Think about the fact that you're still here. And the fact that you're still here gives you this tremendous gift. And more importantly, the opportunity to sort of make the days ahead so much better than the days before. So, in speaking about the death, what I try to do is highlight the fact that yes, this is really a key, important, and incredibly devastating time that we've lost so many people in such a short period of time to this one you know, terrible disease. Uh, but if you're still here, this is now your moment, your opportunity, and I would argue your responsibility to make those deaths that occurred mean something. You know. If you know of a dream or, or, or an unfulfilled, you know, objective or, or goal of one of those dead people that you know of, then think about how you can sort of, you know, take that, you know, lost opportunity and make that opportunity something that you can play upon and, and sort of bring into your world. Um, and if you don't know any of those people, again, I, I would just say reflect on the fact that so many people have lost their lives and think about what is the meaning of your life right now and how can you make it even more meaningful moving forward? And that's the way that, you know, I, 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 I try and highlight this, this, you know, this, this really significant, you know, impact that we've all had on our world of losing so many people uh, prematurely. Um, looping back now to the, the early history lesson and the timeline, uh, obviously, you know, you walked us through the Finian Plague, Black Death, uh, Spanish Flu, 
into today. Uh, and then, you know, talking about the connections as you did earlier, and I'm just quoting from the book here, connections that society fundamentally changes with each one of these global pandemic events, how we adapt, emerge, and evolve has consequences, and how society collectively adapts, merges, and evolves from pandemic has global consequences and impacts lives through generations. Um, take us out, if you would, with your visions for the new resilient 2022, 2032, wherever we're going with this, uh, and, and some of your thoughts on how we, United States, uh, Europe, Africa, Asia, how we are all going to now change and positively <laughs> adapt in, in, for, for the future. Yeah, I think, I think we've seen, uh, you know, a number of those uh, sort of um, uh, things, uh, as you highlighted, uh, happening you know, even present day, right? I mean, the fact that you if, you, if you step back and think about, you know, just the marvel and the, um, you know, incredible advancement of the vaccine technology, right? I mean, that, it, you, it cannot minimize how incredibly remarkable that is. I mean, we take it for granted. And then it's typically what you do with technology. It's like, oh, this iPhone thing can do everything that my, you know, computer, and a whole mainframe of servers did like, you know, decades ago, but it's just in my pocket and, you know, whatever. But you think about how technology has helped rapidly develop and scale and produce a vaccine that, that is now giving us hope and promise for sort of emerging out of this, you know, fundamentally, <laughs> biologically resilient, if you will, uh, to this pandemic. Think about what it can do in the future. You know, the ability to um, accelerate and develop drugs and vaccines and therapies in a much faster, uh, efficient and effective way is going to have huge impact and repercussions for the diseases that we still face and will face in the future. Uh, so I think that's like obviously one clear uh, example of, of how if it weren't for the pandemic, we wouldn't have developed and accelerated these technologies to be able to produce these vaccines in such a short period of time and in such quantity. So that again is an amazing thing. You know, I talked about and highlighted uh, earlier the, uh, you know, the uh, platforms that allow us to collaborate, you know, and do what we're doing right now. I mean, if you think about, you know, unfortunately, had you lived through the, the Spanish flu, you know, collaboration at work and productivity was, was in and significantly impacted, right? You know, they, they had to stay home. So there wasn't a lot of things going on back then, you know? Uh, but here we were still able to, to be productive. And if you think about economics, even despite, uh, you know, the, the, the you know, undeniable toll that it's taken to the economy, there has still been quite a number of, 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 of uh, you know, advances in manufacturing and in, in, uh, in, in supply chain, you know, just revamping some of those things and, and, and think about like how, uh, you know, <laughs> for good, bad or indifferent, uh, things like our e-commerce system has worked to sort of keep us not only uh, sustained uh, and, and in some ways, uh, you know, comfortable during this pandemic, but it's, it's, made, it's made this a lot more of a bearable time. If you think that, you know, we didn't have an Amazon, for example, or Alibaba or whatever it is, you know, what, how would you get things that you needed? You know, people were really afraid to go to the store. People were going to the stores and supplies were not there or they were limited. Um, so you think about that and, and how that has advanced. Um, and then, you know, depending on what side of the fence you're on politically and, 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 and socially, um, you know, I think uh, things are, are sort of uh, have come up and emerged that have given us a lot more of an awareness about, you know, just fundamentally how you think about, you know, what politics should or should not be in your life. It's given you an awareness no matter what it is. And, and that could be a good thing. If you think about the fact that we had the highest voter turnout in the history of, 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 of you know, all elections in the United States, that's a powerful thing. That means in a democracy, more people are participating in the franchise. That can't be a bad thing in democracy. That's a good thing. Um, and you think about socially, right? Yes, we have been distanced from each other. But I would argue that as we emerge from this, I would like to think so, that you are going to appreciate or you should appreciate so much more the relationships that you had with individuals, the relationships you had with family and friends, 
and, and really relish and, and think about those relationships that may not have been as important to you and probably discarding those, but those relationships that are really important to you, nurturing them and making them even more stronger and, and powerful moving forward. So I think, I think those are some of the you know, things that, among many other things, obviously, that we probably don't have a lot of time to talk about that, that should give people hope you know, as you emerge from this. Um, and also an awareness that you should still be careful because we are not completely, you know, done with COVID as, as I referenced early on with my, with my uh, you know, good friend that unfortunately has a brother right now that's suffering through this, but it, it, it should not be lost that we are, we are, we are emerging from this, but I think we are emerging with, uh, with a sense of renewed understanding of what's most important to us in our lives. Excellent message. Beautiful way to wrap things up. It's um, it, it's it's always uh, fascinating listening to you, Dr. Tata, and, and just everything that you're doing. And and uh, really, you know, thank want to thank you for promoting this message of hope and resilience, and that uh, you know we're going to get through this, getting through it. And uh, individuals like yourselves that are sort of at the epicenter of uh, everything are just so important uh, to hear. You're not just your stories, but these uh, these messages of uh, for, for a better future. Um, for uh, everybody that's going to be listening to this episode on the podcast network uh, or uh, watching on the YouTube channel, you've been listening to the amazing Dr. Hassan Teta, uh, Health Mission Chief, Department of Defense, Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, Associate Professor of Surgery at Uniform Services, University of Health Sciences, Adjunct Faculty at Howard University, Thoracic Staff Surgeon at the MedStar Health and Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, Head of a Specialized Thoracic Adaptive Recovery Team down in Washington, D.C. Uh, please pick up his books or what are his books? Uh, the Art of Human Care, The Art of Human Care for COVID-19, which is the current book, Gifts to the Heart, Star Patrol. Uh, Dr. Teta, once again, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule uh, for joining us. Uh, thank you for everything that you're doing there. And as we say, thank you for helping to create a better tomorrow through everything you're involved in. It's, it's so inspirational. Uh, I want to thank you again. Thank you, Ira. Thank you for the opportunity to share with your audience. I really appreciate it.